The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. We're going to have some fun today. Let me introduce you to the gumshoe from Utah, Scott Fulmer. You might know Scott from his many articles that he's written on private investigators for PI Magazine and uh, Pursuit Magazine, etc. Or you might know him, have listened to him on the podcast by Minnesota private investigator Paul Jabe, the American PI, or on Florida PI Tim O'Rourke's Global Investigators Media Group. Uh, Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Francie. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for joining the show. So you and I talked about um, today discussing those unexpected situations, sometimes comical situations, that confront private investigators in their work every day. So to they you, do. PI- yeah. yeah. So to, let me just say to you, PIs out there, if you have a funny story that you want to share today. You can give us a call and join us, join Scott and I on the air. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5787. 866-472-5787. Feel free. Okay, Scott. Um, now, you're a licensed PI in Utah, right? That's correct. You're uh-huh. li- licensing, uh, Utah has a licensing law. And you specialize in workers' comp and insurance fraud investigations? That's right. I specialize in surveillance, and uh, a good deal of it is workers' comp. Uh, some of it's, you know, personal injury liability, uh, insurance, you know, other dis- disability fraud, and uh, even uh, domestic cases. And how did you get started in that specialty? Um, you know, it's, I, surveillance was just something that uh, I've always been interested in, in observing people. I'm not a stalker or anything, but, you know, you go to the <laughs> airport, and people are interesting to watch. And uh, when, I was, uh, when I was about 16, my, my uncle, George Kane, became a private investigator in San Antonio. Mm. And when you're 16 and your uncle is a PI, there's, you know, it's pretty cool. There's nothing uh, much cooler than that. So <laughs> he, uh, he actually took me on a couple of surveillances. And uh, I'm sure he was bored out of his tears, uh, bored to tears. But, um, you know, I was on the edge of my seat drinking a Dr. Pepper eating a cheeseburger, I, I, I knew that we were going to bust Watergate wide open. Something <laughs> big was going to happen. And as I look back, I, I think nothing happened during those surveillances, but uh, it really kind of you know, got me interested in doing it. And he gave me a book at the time. We were sitting there in his truck, and he gave me uh, a book called, uh, it's, a, it's an autobiography, J.J. Arms, Investigator. Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm f- sure you're familiar with him. Yes. He's probably one of the most well-known you know, private eyes uh, out of El Paso, Texas. 
but uh, I was pretty much uh, hooked, no pun intended, uh, after that point. So Interesting. So, so 16 years old, you had your first taste, then where did it go from there? Well, from there, uh, I mean, obviously, I finished high school. I ended up joining the Army uh, because I wanted to pursue a degree in criminal justice, and uh, I come from a pretty large family. I have eight younger sisters, and I'm the only boy, and I am the oldest. Wow. So, uh, yeah, I never saw the inside of a bathroom until I was 20. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I and when I did get in there, of course, there's so many curling irons and things like that. I almost got electrocuted. But uh, of course. <laughs> but anyway, so I joined the army. I uh, the army invited me to join the first Gulf War. They were very ad- adamant about that. So I'm, I uh, I served there, and, and uh, after I got out, I used the GI Bill and, and got a uh, a degree in criminal justice from the University of Texas at San Antonio, and. Uh, I uh, began working for a, a uh, local company in San Antonio from there on out, and I've been in, in the industry ever since. You know, um, I, I don't want to highlight this part about you, that you have your bachelor's in uh, criminal justice, and, and I know you also uh, have already started working on your master's. You know, pe- mm-hmm. I think people often think that uh, private investigators uh, are in this work because they can't do anything else. You know, that they, they just kind of fall into it, and, and maybe mm-hmm. they're... They're not educated, and I think that's blatantly untrue, that many, uh, many investigators that I've had, certainly as guests on this show, have had advanced degrees and, and all kinds of specialties. So, yeah, and I, I think they come from all different kinds of fields as well. Yeah, so. right, exactly. Okay, so and then when you were in the Gulf War, I know you're a decorated combat veteran, and uh, you were with uh, the Hell on Wheels Armored Division, 2nd Armored Division. 2nd Armored, mm-hmm. That was must have been an experience, and and you did say that to, that was by invitation only. Well, I'm, no, I'm joking. They, uh, I know. <laughs> they said, you know, and, and I had uh, I had uh, I had actually gotten married at that time. My uh, my wife Valerie was my sister's roommate in college in Idaho, and uh, huh. I had every time I would go home for leave, uh, you know, I would see my sister's photo album, and I see this cute girl. And I thought, this is a really cute girl. You know, I'd like to meet her. I was about 26 at the time. And I thought, I'm, how am I going to meet her? She's, you know, in college in another state. So I just decided uh, a couple of, you know, before the Gulf War happened, I uh, actually went over to, uh, went up to Idaho uh, and spent a couple of weeks up there. I met her, met Valerie. I asked her to marry, marry me three weeks after we met. Really? Yeah, I know that's crazy. It's, it, 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 it ends well. We've been, we're still married. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. We've been married for 25 years, and so it worked out well, but I would tell people, don't do that. But, um, and so uh, we got married, and then uh, they gave me one day, the Army gave me one day off to get married, and the next day I uh, was back at work, and then four weeks later I was gone. So that was, uh, that was her introduction to the Army, and, and uh, it didn't go over well. I'll bet. I'll bet it didn't. So then, <laughs> <laughs> then you came back, okay, you went to school, and then how did you get started doing this work? Well, you know, it's, it's really odd. I, I uh, actually ad, uh, answered an ad in the paper. I saw an ad in the newspaper for a surveillance investigator, and it asked for the you know, applicants to send their resume. Well, I had no resume. I had no experience. Uh, I, hadn't, I was still working on my degree, but I, so I thought, you know, I'm going to just send him a letter and just tell him um, and say, look, you know, I don't, have any, I don't have a resume. I don't have any experience, but I haven't learned how to do things the bad way. You can train me how to do things just the way you mm. want. 
And mm-hmm. it worked. And so the, the guy hired me, and I spent several years uh, uh, just cutting my teeth on uh, insurance fraud cases, uh, 40 to 60 hours a week. Interesting. So you must have had good supervision there. Got good yeah, training. Yeah, pretty good. I mean, some of the training was, uh, in terms of surveillance, uh, you can read books, you can have a ride-along, but what it really comes down to is you've got to do it yourself. You've got to be out there, and you have to make mistakes, and that means, you know, doing something stupid and and then telling yourself, okay, well, we're not going to do that again. (laughs) Uh, You know, I mean, I've done stuff like uh, when the daylight savings time changed, I I pulled in, and my headlights were on for an hour, and I didn't know it, Uh, or I... (laughs) I'm moving around in my car, and my rear end hits the horn and, and uh, set that off. Uh, you know, stuff like that. Getting burned, I mean, it's just part of learning surveillance, I guess. Right. That's true. That's very true. And I'm, you know, and I'm glad you're bringing those things up because all of us uh, that are private investigators that are listening to the show can absolutely relate to what you're saying. Oh, yeah. I, maybe the, the rest of the public might be appalled, but uh, that is the kind of thing that happens, which you know, brings us to the topic for today. I, we were talking about the outrageous kinds of things that happen when you're out on, on assignment. Mm-hmm. And I know you have some stories. Uh, and, and, and I have to say to our listeners, this is, this is how private investigators, when they get together, this is what they talk about, is the, the war stories. stories. <laughs> the war stories. So you're going to get a bird's eye view into what happens when PIs get together. So, well, what would, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to tell you, I was just going to tell you one of the first surveillances I did, um, I, uh, where, I, where I thought I was very successful. I had, uh, I had only been a PI for a couple of months, and I had a, a couple that, that lived out in the country, and they, needed to, they were going to a uh, physical therapy. It was a workers' comp case. So, uh, I set up out there, very proud of myself, you know, doing well. Uh, they left. I got, been, got behind them, followed them. They got on the highway, changed the highway, changed roads, and I was, uh, things were looking really good. And they pull, eventually get into town, and they pull into the, uh, to the, you know, the physical therapy office, and they pull in the parking lot, and, um, and uh, I was finally, uh, you know, I was just really proud of myself. And they get out of the car. They stand up, turn around, and look at me and smile and wave. <laughs> and uh, they had pretty much known I was be- uh, that I was behind them the entire time, so that kind of uh, deflated my ego at that point. But uh, that's, that kind of stuff happens. Well, so let me – that brings up a good topic. How in the world do you set up a surveillance out in the country when it's, uh, when it's so wide open and there's no place, essentially, to be covert? It's difficult. It's it's uh, it's really difficult, and I I do that. I do a lot of work up in uh, in rural Utah, in Idaho, Wyoming, Western Colorado, and so it's something I deal with. Um, ideally, having a couple of uh, surveillance investigators would be good, but uh, as you probably know, and, and as most uh, investigators know, most most clients are not willing to uh, to pay for that. They're not willing to you know, spend the extra, extra money on a, on a second investigator. So right. what I generally do is I, I kind of, before I go out there, I look at an overview or a map uh, of, the, uh, of where the subject lives, and I try to get a feel for the area, uh, for what, you know, where the choke points are, where the town is, and, and their most likely avenues of departure. You know, where they're, if, I, if I live there, how would I get to town? Where would I go? Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and then you pretty much have to, uh, you know, be down the road a bit, 
Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of tricks. Uh, I know people, there's some PIs that sit on the side of the road with their trunk or with the hood open, like, they're, uh, like the car's broken, but I think that just draws attention to you. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've tried to avoid that. But for the most part, I just have, uh, <laughs> just sit there and you have to be super patient looking, looking for their vehicle as they, as they drive by and come in behind them. So I can just see you sitting alongside the road with your hood open and your target stops to help you. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I just don't. That's, uh, just, that's not something I do. I don't think that's going to work very well. <laughs> right, right. Besides, then, then you'd have, have to close the hood, get in the car and take off and then potentially lose your target. And, and, and then if you do, uh, you, uh, then if you end up, but if you do follow them and you go inside, you know, and you're gathering covert video, they already know who you are. They've already seen you. So it, uh, it's kind of hard to explain at that point. <laughs> right. Weren't you the right. guy down the road? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Isn't that the right guy we just saw? Huh. Uh, yeah. So um, one, of the, one of the things we should probably say is that usually if you're on a surveillance for a insurance fraud or workers' comp, it's because these people are, be, are suspected of defrauding whoever it is. Right. Or, or is it just uh, any large claim would be uh, under surveillance? How does that work? You know, you know it really depends. Uh, I mean, you have, you have insurance companies, you have, you know, TPAs, your third-party administrators that, that manage claims for, uh, you know, like cities or counties or, or large self-insured uh, corporations or companies. And so, you know, you've got your workers' comp, and, and a lot of them, some of them are in light duty. They want to know what they're doing on their other, you know, when they're not working, some of them are not on light duty. They're they're not working at all, and, and they, you know, they find out that so and so is uh, is running a marathon or uh, involved in sports or something like mm-hmm. that. And then some of them are liability cases um, where it involves like an accident or a slip and fall or a personal injury. I had a, a case where a, uh, a it was a case I called the case of the injured stripper. And she was, uh, she was hit by an 18-wheeler. Uh, so in some of these cases, the people are injured. Uh, they are legitimately injured. But the question then remains, how permanent, how debilitating is the injury? Because uh, they want to settle the claim, and they, you know, they need to kind of get a picture of what, what the cost will be in the long term. Mm-hmm. And so what we're looking for is we're looking for what their stated activities or stated limitations are, and then whether they are acting or, or engaged in activities that are outside the scope of those limitations. So in this case, you know, she was injured, you know, she recovered, and, um, uh, but they, there was some question as, as to, you know, they wanted to check her out. So we went and checked her out and had a hard time finding her at first. Eventually found her, found out that she was a stripper, and her, her stripper name was Tiny Bell, which I thought was kind of cool. But anyway, <laughs> so... We anyway end up uh, finding out that she's stripping at a club. Uh, so we go to the club. We gather covert video of her, and uh, suffice to say, Francie, she's very healthy. Uh, she's very flexible. Um, she's doing things that are definitely outside the scope of her quote injuries, and so much so that you know most healthy people could not uh, you know could not do those things. Could not twist and turn in those ways. That's right. Yeah, and. <laughs> And so this case actually uh, actually went to trial, uh, and uh, she was trying. I think she was trying to get something like two million dollars for her injury. And um, I think what the public doesn't realize as well is a lot of this stuff is is not black and white; it's gray. And so 
in the end, we got the uh, we were able to get the uh, claim, uh, the uh, award down to uh, uh, half a million, five hundred thousand. So we ended up saving the insurance company money on the claim, but they're still paying. You know, they're still paying something out. Mm-hmm. But uh, the uh, the judge, by the way, would not allow the video because he said it was too obscene. But he did keep a copy for himself for what he called further review. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Of course, you, well, you have to keep the uh, maintain the evidence in the courtroom. Whatever you yeah. want to do, Judge. <laughs> you got that chain of custody going. <laughs> so, so how did she get hit by a semi? That's that's a little. Outdated. I don't know. I don't. I don't remember that part. I, you know, we come in after the injury, but uh, uh, how do you get hit by a semi and, and live? That's that was my question. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, semis are are fairly good size. You would think you'd see them coming. But, yeah, uh, but, you know, who knows? So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good... Now, so you were actually taking the covert video inside the club. Right. That's correct. Yeah. So that's hard. That's hard to do. It, it is. And I, and I tell you, uh, covert cameras have come a long way. Um, you know, the public uh, gets their idea of what PIs are from, from literature and from television, from, you know, the Rockford Files and, and Mannix and, and Magnum PI. And uh, yeah, some of that's accurate, but a lot of it isn't. And, and in terms of covert cameras, I had one of the, one of the, the very first ones I had back in the 90s was, uh, was in a drinking mug, and it was wireless. Mm-hmm. And I had to, I had to wear a, like a really heavy uh, battery pack on my belt under my shirt and then a, a little mini DVR under my shirt and all these wires coming out and it was really bulky. And I remember going in to, uh, to do video, to, to gather some covert video of this, this lady. She was, uh, she was selling jewelry inside a uh, flea market, okay. you know, in these little booths. So I go in there and I'm standing there with my mug, you know, looking all smug with my mug and uh, thinking I got great video of her. Anyway, I go back and my pants are falling down because I can't keep my pants up because <laughs> uh, I generally don't wear a belt. I don't know why. But uh, the battery pack and the DVR start dragging my pants down and I, it's all I can do to hold the camera still, still and keep my pants up. So I finally had to, had to go out to my car and uh, I get out there and I check the video out. And of course, it's a disaster. It's, it looks like my vertical hold was stuck. Every once in a while you see her, but most of it's all distorted. And so uh, that was the beginning of the covert camera system. But oh, wow. uh, they, they've come a long way since then. Yeah, so um, there, now there, because these are public places, there are no laws against recording unless they tell you you can't. Now how, is that true? Well, I'm not a lawyer, uh, yeah, but right. uh, although, yeah, I'm not a lawyer, but uh, yeah, generally there's no audio, of course. You can, you can record video and you can record what you see if you were, you know, visiting in the public with, with the public. And it's pretty much essentially the same if you're doing surveillance at someone's house in the neighborhood. If you're on the public street and you are shooting video of them in their front yard, you know, using a postal digger, then uh, you're, you're seeing what anyone would normally be able to see. Mm-hmm. Now, if you are, if I was at the flea market and she went uh, in behind an employee-only area in the back, and I I went back there, that that would probably be draw, you know, crossing a line. If uh, if it was at her house and I'm raising my the camera over the over her fence, a privacy fence, you know, that's not going to work either. That's generally not going to be allowed in in uh, in court. Right. You want to be it needs to be something that uh, the public would be able to see. 
And you also can't shoot through somebody's window into their home. Yeah, and, and, and there's uh, some of those areas that kind of kind of be a fine line. Um, I've got clients that, that don't want that at all. If they're on their porch, that's fine. But if they're and, – and, and I did have a case like that, and, and I've, I've kind of stopped doing that because of this one case. Uh, I had this guy, and it was actually a sexual harassment case, and they were going to fire him, and they wanted to, uh, they wanted to follow him you know, kind of before and after to mm. make sure he didn't do anything stupid or crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, this guy was a chef. He was a, a, a chef for a, a large uh, corporation that had their own cafeteria and everything. And um, so the guy got up really early. So I get there at five, the guy's gone. I said, you've got to be kidding me. So the next day I get there at four and, uh, and of course his vehicle is there. And I'm in a, he lives in an apartment complex and I'm in an adjacent complex that is about a foot or two higher up, so I have a perfect view right down into his apartment and his vehicle, so I can see him leave. So I see this guy walking back and forth in the, in the living room, so I, I, you know, turn my camera on and zoom in, and at first I think the guy is wearing a white unitard, but uh, upon further inspection, it was a, uh, he was totally naked. It was a, a pasty white 60-year-old cook. <laughs> And he's pacing okay. back and forth with no clothes on. And there's some things, Francie, that you just can't unsee. And so uh, <laughs> yes. at that point, Tell I said, I, I, I can't be zooming into people's living rooms anymore. This is too much. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know in California, at least, um, that you, you can't do that. That's, that's unlawful. Um, there's a, a very strong log against uh, videotaping anybody inside their home or, you know, yeah. like you said, in their backyard. In their private areas, you know, essentially is what it's called. Right. Um, and, of course, that's the, the big thing about drones right now. Uh, whether you have a um, drone going over somebody's property, whether uh, you're allowed to do that. And that's the controversy at the moment, anyway. Um, have, you, have you ever done anything with drones? I have not. Not yet. It's, uh, I want one, though. <laughs> I'd like to get one. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, the, the, way, the way that uh, drones, uh, and I think what you said is, is, gonna, is, gonna, is not going to be allowed, you know, obviously flying one over someone's home, over their backyard if they're having yeah. a barbecue or something like that. Right. Um, and I think the law right now is trying to catch up with the technology at this point. But um, where it would uh, be useful is if you were at a park or a campsite, uh, you know, some kind of a public place where uh, maybe the person is... is you can't get close enough, but you can use a drone to fly overhead, and that would be ideal for uh, you know for gathering gathering surveillance at that you know gathering video at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly be convenient. Uh, although there's so many operating issue technical issues with drones, I, that's going to have to be much more sophisticated than it is well, right yeah, now. Well, yeah, yeah, I know. And if they uh, if you get out, of, if I, I, I do know with some of them, uh, if you get too far away, they they uh, lose the signal and they pretty much just drop where they're at. So that would not be good, you know. It's not a good idea when it's in your target's backyard. <laughs> That's right. Hey, can I knock on their door. Can I have my drone back? <laughs> I was just, had you under surveillance. I need it was, to get it was a stiff wind. I don't know how I got over there. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, so back to your strip club. Um, so, or any business really. I mean, because many, um, many companies like, maybe uh, certainly any kind of performance, they always say you can't, you can't use video, you can't take photographs. Mm-hmm. So um, if you, 
what do you do if you get to the business and it has a sign on the door that says video is not allowed? You know, uh, in, I have spent a lot of my time in Texas and Utah and in the West where it's, no, you know, it's kind of like the wild, wild West. They, they don't, uh, they've got, you know, very liberal, uh, you know, Second Amendment laws and things like that. And so mm-hmm. it's not been something that I, for the most part, have, have really, uh, you know, had to deal with. Um, but, uh, you know, I mean, I, I, obviously I believe in uh, honoring and sustaining the law. So you've got to, you know, I would have to abide by that. Right. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So um, I know you have other uh, situations to talk about. So, uh, give, give me what what's been your most challenging uh, situation? Um, well, I mean, it's a good question. So many of them are, are that way. I, I did have a, a woman that uh, this was a workers' comp case, and she had a back injury, and uh, she w- she was also the mother of three small children, and so uh, I went to do surveillance at her apartment, and she, you know she just never left. She would never come outside. Uh, I know you've had kids, and you know when they're small, uh, getting everything ready—the diaper bag, the bottle—it's just a—it's a chore. It's an ordeal just to go anywhere, right? Because uh, you get—it's like you're going away for the weekend just to go to the convenience store, right? Um, so uh, after a couple of days, I've had no activity from her, and uh, you know, generally we'll use pretext where uh, maybe we'll uh, try to get gather some information and. and uh, that, that particular avenue wasn't working because she wasn't answering her phone either. So, uh, and, and then at the same time, there's lots of pressure from uh, insurance companies to produce, to produce video. Um, you, can, you can be really, really good, but it's kind of like that Janet Jackson song from the 1980s. It's, uh, what have you done for me lately? Yeah. And they always, they continually want you to produce, produce, produce. And if you've got a string of two or three or four surveillances where you're unsuccessful, they'll, there's, a, there's so many, there's so much competition. They'll just go into somebody else. Right. And they blame so, you for it instead of the situation. Yeah. Right, right, right. Exactly. And, you know, some people just aren't active. I mean, that's just the way it goes. They don't, uh, I tell you, if I was going to uh, uh, file an insurance claim, I would never leave the house. Uh, so. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's no, like okay. I, had, I had one guy that did leave the house, and he went to every drive-thru I can think of, the drive-thru cleaners, the drive-thru convenience store, the drive-thru restaurant. <laughs> he never got out of the car. I thought that was pretty clever. But, that um, is clever. <laughs> so anyway, what I ended up doing with her is uh, I ended up taking her trash. And um, I, uh, I slapped on the old latex gloves and, and put a couple of bags of trash in my car and took off. And uh, she had a baby, and so it was pretty disgusting. It was one of the worst trash <laughs> runs I've ever, ever done. I mean, you know that gag reflex where you're going to throw up and you're like, yeah, yeah. yeah that was me the whole time. <laughs> oh, so I'm looking through the dirty diapers, the pizza boxes, and I find a note. I got really lucky. Uh, and of course, I didn't find it till the very last, you know, the, the second bag at the very end. I wish I had found it right away. But, um, and in the note, and I don't remember... I don't remember exactly what the note said. I'm paraphrasing, but it was essentially uh, that she and she had to buy tickets for uh, Six Flags, a uh, amusement park in in uh, near Dallas, Texas, and her and some friends were going to go on a a friend were going to go on a specific day. So I went and got me a ticket, and I showed up on that day. I think it was a Friday, and I get video. She's loading the bags and loading the the kids in, and I follow them to the. Uh, to the amusement park, and I pretty much spent the whole day, most of the day, following her around with, with my camera, 
videotaping her on roller coasters, you know, putting her arms up going, woohoo, and, and riding every ride and just having a really great time. So it, turned out, it started out really difficult, but it ended up really well. And what was her injury? It was a back injury. Okay. Right. Yeah, which are, you know, pretty subjective, I think. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a break, Scott. Uh, we'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Today's topic is outrageous gumshoe stories. This is a bird's eye view of the stories that are told when PIs get together. So, uh, Scott, you were talking about searching through somebody's trash. Let's talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit because, you know, some of our listeners that are not private investigators might think this is a little strange. Well, it is a little strange. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's something that private investigators, it's not something that uh, I don't think that we do generally as a rule. Um, in my case, I only do it as if I've reached dead ends and, you know, I'm not able to kind of pursue the case and I'm looking for some additional information. But uh, it's actually gone all the way to the Supreme Court. And, uh, again, I'm not a lawyer, but uh, the Supreme Court has pretty much allowed it as long as it's something that someone has thrown out and it's on what they call, uh, you know, the curtilage, the, the edge of their, their street or in the trash can, then it's pretty much fair game. Um, it's kind of like the same uh, concept if you put out a TV that's broken and someone comes and takes it, you know, because they, mm-hmm. they want the pieces of the TV, I guess. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, there's some limitations. If the trash is on the side of the house, you can't, you can't, you know, trespass and go up into their property and grab their trash. You can't take their trash can. 
But uh, in terms of taking the trash, um, you know, the Supreme Court has ruled it uh, okay, I guess. Yeah, and some actually some jurisdictions do have uh, local laws that prohibit doing anything with, with somebody's uh, garbage or trash, even if it's sitting out on the curb. Uh, I know there's some uh, uh, city ordinances that prohibit it in some areas. But uh, essentially, so private investigators that are listening, if you're going to do this, you need to check the law for your particular area. Right. Uh, and... Uh, for those folks that are listening that aren't private investigators, um, don't be freaked out by this. <laughs> yeah, get, a, get a shredder. What I say. <laughs> get a shredder. Exactly. Well, you should anyway. Actually, I yeah. mean, if you're putting if you're putting your personal records in your tra- in your trash can for to be taken to the dump, you need to shred your financial records and anything that's personal. You just oh, yeah. you should. I mean- that's how identity theft. Uh, a lot of cases of identity theft happen from from people doing the same thing. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, it goes out into a landfill someplace, and people actually go out and go through that stuff. So, um, yeah, yeah, anyway. I'm not that dedicated. <laughs> no, <laughs> you don't go to the landfills? Okay. <laughs> no, I don't do that. That's, uh, I draw the line there. You know, <laughs> if they live in an apartment complex uh, and they have a dumpster, then it's even more uh, It's difficult because you have to actually watch them leave, and, and hopefully you pick the right trash. So, But, you know, it's what we do. Yeah. So you had another story about uh, employee theft that uh, was pretty interesting. Uh, the Great Tortilla Caper. Yeah, I like to give my cases funny names uh, <laughs> because I end up putting them on my, you know, a lot of them on my podcast. And I, of course, changed the states and the, and the company names and, and all the details. But this was a, uh, this was a large company that, that uh, manufactures Mexican food products, you know, taco shells and and just you know, tostada chips and things like that. You would be able to purchase them at your at your grocery store. But uh, <laughs> so this uh, company had been experiencing some inventory shortage, and they had they had pretty much got it down to a, a they they figured it was happening at night, but they could never they could never catch the uh, the you know the employees doing it. So they hired uh, they hired us to take care of it. So um, this was a closing crew that uh, that got I think. We got there about ten o'clock at night, and they ended up closing between eleven and twelve. And we uh, we ended up doing surveillance, uh, and I had an assistant in this in this uh, particular case because uh, of the of the setup. It was these long warehouses. It mm-hmm. was it was really difficult to get in. We couldn't get in the place and and watch it inside there. And so what we did was uh, I, I gave my uh, we got a a, a uh, essentially got a ladder. <laughs> And put uh, my assistant on the roof of the adjacent warehouse. Wow! And he and he could get over there. He got over there and he could look straight down, not only at the uh, at the warehouse, but he could look into the warehouse and uh, see the guys zipping around in the in the uh, in the forklifts and, and moving the pallets around and things like that. That's pretty and creative. And I was, yeah, I was. It, well, you got to do what you got to do again. And so I, I, uh, and, and the company had owned all of uh, all the property, and so you know we had the permission, obviously, to do that. So, and I was in a, a vehicle uh, down the road waiting to, you know, to follow the individuals when they left. So we do this for about two weeks and just, you know, it's just business as usual. Nothing's happening. And, you know, like any companies, they're getting a little antsy. They're, you know, they're irritated. We try to explain to them that, you know, surveillance is not a, uh, it's not an exact science. If we knew when it would happen, we would just show up then. Trust me. We don't want to waste, <laughs> we don't want to waste our time or your money any more than, you know, you want us to waste it. But anyway, it was, uh, I think it was like a Wednesday night. Um, my assistant is up there, and all of a sudden, 
four or five, and I see the video later on, four or five trucks and vans all pull in together, and they, they pull in side by side in front of this warehouse. And it was kind of like uh, the Italian job with the little Mini Coopers pulling side by side. They all pull in. <laughs> they're all set up. And it's actually kind of sad because out of the vehicle comes uh, the wives of the employees and their children. I mean, never mind, it's 11 o'clock at night, we've got seven-year-olds, you know, coming out to steal Mexican food products, but they all come out, they all go in the warehouse, and we didn't think it was an employee party, so um, a minute or two goes by, and then the employees and their families are all walking out, carrying bags of taco shells, bags of chips, uh, boxes, and they just start loading their, their cars, and... Like I said, there's about four or five of them. They just loaded them to the hilt. And the kids are laughing. It's fun. It's just a big joke. And, of course, we're videotaping all of this. And, um, and then they take off, and we end up following them to, you know, to their different locations because it happened again on, a, on, a, on another night. And, um, you know, they're, they're putting them in their garage. And we later find out some of them are using the products themselves, and some of them are selling them to uh, your mom and pop Mexican food restaurants, mm-hmm. you know, for pennies on the dollar. You know, it's all profit to them because they're taking it. Right. So the next time that happened, you know, they had the police out there and they were all busted. And, and they find out that, uh, that the, uh, the supervisor uh, of, the, of the warehouse crew that night was, was a ringleader. And he had actually been fired from another company for doing the same thing. But... Huh. This, his, the particular client did not do any kind of a background investigation other than a drug testing, and so they wouldn't have, wouldn't have found out. So it right. was interesting. It's a that, lot of tortillas. That's, that's really an unusual situation. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. People get their children involved. It's, I guess life of crime starts when you're really young. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they were saying, hey, it's free, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Wow. So, uh, no, I really like that idea of, of uh, getting on the roof of the adjacent building. That's, uh, that's quite innovative. That's when I needed the drone. See, that drone would have right. been good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's, they do that in the movies. I don't know why you can't do that when you're out on surveillance. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, so you had another one uh, about a homeless guy. Yeah, this one was really odd. You know, like I said, most of my, most of the, my surveillances involve... Uh, you know, liability, personal injury fraud, or, uh, or workers' comp. But uh, I've had some, you know, some real weird ones, too, in terms of uh, domestic cases or theft cases. This case was a, a, a gentleman who had some mental health issues, and I think, he was, uh, I think he was schizophrenic. And it was bad enough that he had, was disabled, but it wasn't bad enough that he lived by himself. I don't. I don't know the param. I can't understand. I don't understand the parameters of how that all worked. But he lived by himself. He had a wealthy family, and so he had a trust. And the trust took care of him, paid his rent, paid his bills. Uh, you know, all the money was paid out of that. And he had a uh, a caregiver that would come by around nine o'clock every night, and she would give him his medication. But she noticed something weird. Uh, after she would give his, she she gave him his medication one evening. She gets back in her car. She's making notes. He takes off on foot. Because he didn't have a car, so he's walking down the starts walking down the street in the middle of the night, and the, the short of it is he starts disappearing about ten o'clock, uh, about three or four nights a week, hmm. and he doesn't show up again until ten the next morning. And um, you know they're they're concerned that he's going to be safe. This was in a, a, a very big city. They wanted to make sure he was going to be safe, but they also wanted to know what is this guy doing? What is he doing overnight? You know, right, right. 
And so uh, he was really easy to follow uh, because he was uh, because he was schizophrenic. He 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 really didn't have a presence of mind to pay attention to who was following him or or his surroundings or anything like that. And so he was easy to follow in that regard. And because he either walked or he took the bus, so I ended up following the guy. I, I lost him the first night because he was a fast walker. I don't know how you lose somebody. I'm in a car and he's walking. It can happen. Trust me. Yeah. So. Uh, I ended up losing it. The next night, I, uh, I follow the guy, and he goes down to an area where the, the railroad tracks and the county jail are, which I don't know what town you're in, but that's generally never a good part of town. <laughs> and uh, I see him engage in a drug deal with a drug dealer. He, he buys some drugs, and then he goes around. And what he had been doing on these nights is he's buying drugs, and he's hanging out. Uh, with a bunch of homeless people, and they're just smoking and doing drugs all night, and then sleeping in the street, and then he came home in the morning. Hmm. And uh, so it's just just really bizarre, though. Very interesting. So, um, so did they do anything with that information? What what happened after that? Do you know? I think they tried to talk to him, but he was, you know, he wasn't the kind of guy that he could say, oh, you mean what I'm doing is wrong? <laughs> yeah, right. So if you're going to get in trouble, you're going to get arrested, uh, that type of thing. You're, you know, if you're, uh, you're, gonna, you're hanging out with people and in, you're putting yourself in situations where you're going to get hurt. But uh, last I heard, he was, you know, he, I think he's, he slowed down a bit, but he was still doing it every once in a while. I think he probably already knew all those things. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure out that if you leave in the middle of the night and go do drugs with somebody, you're, it's probably uh, fraught with peril. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had a friend that was an ER doctor, and he says, you know, I, I tell you, almost the majority of all the cases uh, that, that I see in the, in the hospital in the middle of the night have to do with alcohol or drugs. So, yeah, yeah you put sure. two and two together. Well, what's the most unusual thing an, an attorney has ever asked you to do? Um, I've had some weird stuff. I had an attorney ask me once. He he wanted to know if a char a, a private jet had ever landed at a specific airport uh, that had come from uh, from some Middle Eastern country. I don't recall the country. Okay. And uh, he wanted to know did did a specific private jet arrive, and uh, we were able to find out yes, it had. And that's the last I heard of it. So just weird stuff like that. Yeah, uh, yeah, because there would be flight, uh, the, there would be records at the, the uh, airport they landed at. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And so you knew what kind of a plane it was and what serial number it was and all that, or how did yeah, you? Yeah, he, 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 he knew where it was coming from. And so uh, at, at the time I had a connection uh, with the airport and I was able to get the information and find out. Uh, I don't know what it had to do, but lawyers, you know, uh, of course, there's there's a difference between what's discoverable and what's mm-hmm. not, I guess. Right. And so they're they're always hunting and and fishing for 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 strange things like that. Well, and something like that would be public record, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Some of it, most of it would. Most of it yeah. would. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, and and so um, you mentioned at the first of the show that you've done work in a number of states. So are you licensed in a variety of states? How does that work? I am. I'm licensed in uh, in Texas. I'm licensed in Utah, Colorado. Um, licensed in um, um, uh, Minnesota. I'm sorry, not Minnesota, North Dakota. It's all the cold country to me. That's it's kind of like one state up there. I know. Yeah. But anyway. 
Right. <laughs> my, my apologies to people who live there. Uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, and then there are several states. Uh, you know, there's only think about five states left in the U.S. that do not require licensing, yeah. and two of them, uh, Idaho and Wyoming, are right up in my neck of the woods, and so uh, I spend you know spend a good deal deal of time going up there as well. So, um, so do you often have a surveillance where you have to cross state lines? Um, I do. I had one, um, uh, it, well, every once in a while that happens, but I, I did have one where a guy, I, it was kind of one of the longest surveillances I've ever had. I think it was about 16 hours, and uh, that's pretty long for a workers' comp surveillance. Um, I mean, unless the individual is going away for the weekend or something, mm-hmm. but um, I got set up at the guy's house about 6 in the morning, and he lived down in uh, near, near uh, Provo, Utah. And his family got up, and it was, this was the wintertime, so it was nice and sunny, but it was cold, you know, probably about 30 degrees, and they all leave, and they keep driving, and they're driving, and I'm thinking, okay, they're going to, you know, they're going to go to breakfast, and they keep going, and they keep going. They leave Utah County, and they go into Salt Lake City County, which is the next county north, and they keep driving. I'm like, what is going on? Where are you going? And then they leave Salt Lake County, they go into Davis County, and so then they finally stop at a Walmart. And I, I get my covert camera, and I go in and follow them, and the guys, buying, they're buying sunglasses and goggles. And I'm like, it's wintertime. Oh. What are you doing? And they didn't have any kind of uh, luggage or anything. They didn't really bring any luggage with them, so it's not like it was a, you know, some overnight trip. So the guy keeps driving. They eventually leave Utah, and they go into Idaho. And at this point, I'm like, all right, I've got to know what is going on here. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, as a private investigator, you're always trying to kind of guess what's, what's, what's right. happening. Exactly. Anyway, they end up pulling into lava hot springs idaho and they go to the uh there's it's these uh it's a set of uh of these uh, thermo these natural uh what do you call it thermo um basically uh thermo uh, natural hot springs okay so they're, like, okay. they're constant 102 degrees so people go there you know year round right and the good thing was I got video. I, 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 I was able to, I didn't even have to go into the hot springs. I could park and I could see right down into them because there's kind of a, a hill right next to them. And I got video of, of, of the guy who had a back injury. And frankly, the hot springs was probably pretty good for a back injury if it was real. But, mm-hmm. uh, but they're sitting like a bunch of Japanese snow monkeys, you know, sitting in the, uh, in the hot springs. Because it's not like a swimming pool where you're going to play and have fun or swim. You just sit there. So it was kind of boring in that way, in that regard. But uh, uh, after that, they ended up going, swinging through another part of Idaho and coming down into another part of Utah. So it ended up being a really long surveillance. So, so you're saying this is 16 hours. You're on the job literally nonstop from right. the beginning of that 16 hours to the end. Right, exactly. So, so, <laughs> so I got to ask the question. Banks How did I go to the bathroom? Some... <laughs> Is that your question? Or... <laughs> yeah. You have bathroom issues. You have eating issues. I just uh, wait to the end of the surveillance. No, I... Uh... <laughs> 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 yeah, it does present an issue. I mean, the first issue it presents is, is gas for your vehicle. Um, yeah. Uh, so that's why, you know, you, every private investigator knows you want to start every surveillance with a full tank, even if you think nothing's going to happen. Um, when this guy fueled up, he ended up fueling up, um, actually, yeah, I think he ended up fueling up in Idaho, and, and then he went to the hot springs. And so once he got to the hot springs and I, I saw what he was going to do, I zipped on back over got my, you know, get the, get the tank filled up and then went back and set up. 
because uh, you have to be. I, I have in the old, in the, you know, in the old days when I first started, I I got to the point where I had I lost somebody because I didn't have a full tank of gas, so I didn't right. think ahead. Yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, the uh, food, you know, you bring plenty of food and and and, uh, and um, beverages and water and whatnot with you. And uh, going to the bathroom, I, let me just say that uh, you use every opportunity you can, um, and that uh, the water bottles I buy those. Uh, yeah, you know, case of twenty. You drink them and you fill them right back up. I mean, yeah. that's just all. You, that's all you got to do. Yeah. Well, some surveil. Some people have surveillance vans that have a little porta potty inside too. Yeah, you can do that. And uh, obviously, if you're if you're a woman, it presents some uh, specific challenges. There's some RV toilets that you can buy. Yeah. Uh, but then, of course, you're spent half the surveillance with a full porta potty inside <laughs> your. <laughs> that causes other problems. Yeah, that's uh, you might as well do a trash one with dirty diapers. That that's not fun. Don't don't slam on the brakes. <laughs> now I know. Now I know when you go to Walmart and you see a dirty diaper in the parking lot. I know why people do that now. Nobody wants that in their car. Exactly right. Exactly right. And <laughs> um, and well, and other things like you got to make sure your batteries. You know, all all your batteries are good. Everything's charged up because you know you're gonna you you never know. When you leave in the morning, when you're going to come back? Yeah, and you don't. You never know how long the video is going to be. I, I had a, a case where, uh, unfortunately, it was a police officer who was on workers' comp and had uh, bad shoulders and a bad back and really couldn't do anything. He'd been in a, a car accident, I think, in this police uh, cruiser. And this guy had spent like uh, three hours. I got video of him for three hours in his front yard uh, using a post hole digger. I don't know if you've ever used one of those, but you'll find muscles that you never knew you oh had. Oh my gosh, I've seen. I haven't used one myself, but they're they're, they're brutal. Horrible. Yeah, and and he. Uh, oh, then I got him using a pickaxe. That's right. That's right. A pickaxe. And uh, <laughs> I mean, this guy was. He he basically spent three hours redoing the landscaping of his front yard. And so yeah, I had. I, I carry a camera. I carry a backup camera. I carry. I have three batteries for each camera. And then I also have, uh, you know, the cigarette adapter so I can recharge the batteries uh, right there on the spot if I have to. And, uh, but, yeah, that's something you definitely – you have to be prepared for just about everything. Yeah. Uh, and have you ever had a client show up at your surveillance? Um, I, I, I did. It was, uh, it was actually a, a non-custodial parental kidnapping, but I actually – in that case, we had him there because we needed him to ID the uh, – the child because the the child that had been taken by his ex-wife uh, the ex-wife had a sister and the sister the sister looked a, very much like her and the sister had a child about the same age that looked just like his son i know you, you need a, a spreadsheet to figure all this out mm-hmm. but, uh, <laughs> but uh and so uh we certainly did not want to grab the wrong child that would have been a world of pain for uh for all of us, so, so in that case we did. And uh, but one thing that uh, that I had uh, I failed to do then, and it's kind of changed the way I do things, is after we uh, they showed up, we were able to take the child back uh, and and take off. Um, I found out that the client had a concealed handgun. He had a concealed wow. handgun license, and I had never, I didn't even think this was when it was new in this particular state. Mm-hmm. And so there were there weren't that many people that had those, and I it didn't dawn on me to you know to ask, uh, hey, you carrying a gun with you? Right. Uh, <laughs> not a good exactly. idea. Yeah. So uh, so yeah. So I, ever since then, I'm I'm, I'm uh, licensed to carry a concealed weapon in Utah, but uh, 
I, uh, that's definitely something you want to, especially in, in domestic cases, you want to be wary of. So if you're, oh, that brings up an interesting question. So you're, uh, sorry, you're Utah, you're licensed to carry a concealed weapon, and then you mm-hmm. go to another state. Um, what happens, I mean, in the weapons in your car, what do you do with that? Well, it would depend on the state. Uh, the several states like, uh, well, I, I, I can tell you this for, for starters, Utah has, uh, has reciprocity. It's one of the best uh, uh, concealed handgun license you can get. And a lot of people come from out of state to get it because it, it provides reciprocity in, in probably more states than any other, hmm. uh, any other license. Now, you can't take it to California. You can't take it to Nevada. Um, federal law allows you to carry a weapon if you're, tra- if you're you know, traveling. Mm-hmm. So you can keep it in the car, but you wouldn't be able to carry it concealed. For example, if I was in St. George, Utah, and I followed somebody into Las Vegas. But other states like Colorado uh, also are very liberal in their use of that. Uh, Wyoming. Wyoming, you can do anything. I'm, I'm convinced. Uh, <laughs> everything's legal. <laughs> Let's put it this way. It's, well, not, it's not illegal. Uh, it's still the and, Wild West uh, in Wyoming. It is the Wild West. Yeah, it's not that you can do everything, but there's, there's not a whole lot of laws saying you can't do something specific. Mm-hmm. So, and then Idaho, I think Idaho just passed a, a permitless, permitless uh, concealed carry. So, yeah, I do, I do pay attention to where I'm going and, and uh, uh, for, for that regards, especially. Well, there was a couple of investigators, this has been years ago, a couple of investigators in my office that had a, uh, a surveillance that had one of those situations where, um, you know, it was a, a cheating spouse kind of a situation. They were supposed to be in an apartment building with one of those exposed stairways. And so mm-hmm. the uh, two investigators were out. And, of course, the client shows up, the client dresses up in some outrageous costume and shows up. <laughs> to check things out. And of course, they're freaking out because they want to get her out of there. So they get, take care of her. And the one investigator pretends it, like he's drunk and he sits on the stairway hoping that when the couple comes out of the apartment that it'll <laughs> stall them enough so the other investigator can get a photograph. Mm-hmm. So it, it turns out, and then they wait forever. Finally, the exact event happens. They're coming out of the doorway. They're kissing each other. He's on the steps. The other investigator goes to take the picture, and it was so cold that the batteries didn't work. Oh. <laughs> so they never got the money shot. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, yeah that, and that happens. I mean, uh, I, mean <laughs> I don't care what you have, your equipment, something is going to fail you at some point. <laughs> but uh, yeah, in my uh, in my uh, re- my client service agreement, I I have a paragraph. I stipulate that if you interfere in any way, you your relatives, anybody like that, interferes in the investigation, we we stop working. Oh, that's uh, a good idea. Yeah, that's well, a very it, good idea. You remember that case in in Houston, Texas, where the the orthodontist uh, you know caught her husband cheating and ran over him uh, with her Mercedes. Uh, you got to be really careful. These things are really uh, sensitive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. D- Domestic cheater situations, uh, they are. They're really explosive. You, yeah, you never know what's going to happen. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so, oh, my goodness. This is fun, Scott. Uh, so can you think of anything else that pe- you'd want people to hear about? Well, I had a case where I followed a guy. He was a, this was a, uh, he was a married man, but it was, a, it was a workers' comp case. And he wasn't very active. He, he was a real uh, slow driver. And slow drivers are really more difficult to follow than people who drive fast because they're, you know, they take their time. They end up running red lights for some reason. I don't know why they do that. They drive really slow, and then they end up running red lights. But uh, he went to this gym, 
and it, I kind of got an off-kilter reading on the gym. It, it, it was out of the way. It, it had a little, one of those rental marquees that, you know, that you set up, and it, it just had G-Y-M, the letter Jim, on it. And I'm like, I was getting ready to go in with my covert camera, and I thought, this, something just doesn't look right. It was only hmm. men going in. Anyway, I, I checked around, made some inquiries, found out it was a, a gay men's bathhouse. <laughs> and uh, I'm a firm believer into each his own, but uh, I was not going to be able to fake that. So I, I stayed in my surveillance <laughs> car and just waited for him to leave, you know. <laughs> well, that would have made a really interesting story if you'd gone in. I don't know. I, yeah, I, I couldn't have... Uh, I couldn't have faked that, so. <laughs> <laughs> so were you able to get any good footage on that one? Yeah, just him coming and going. And, and I, uh, this brings up the whole issue of privacy. I thought, you know, yeah, this guy is more than likely in there, you know, having indiscriminate sex with, with strange men or strangers. And then he's going home to his wife and, you know, there's all kinds of issues. But as a private investigator, you know, uh, privacy issues, I, can't, I can't, can't go tell his wife. I can't uh, do anything like that. I just reported it to the client like normal. You know, that's absolutely true. And, and, and let's, let's just say that as private investigators, we're really conscious of people's privacy. I know it doesn't sound that way, but it, we are. And we, are. Uh, we try not to. Uh, we really try not to invade the privacy. So we're at the end of the show, Scott. This is fun. Uh, thanks for joining. And uh, to you folks out there, uh, tune in again next week as we declassify more real stories from real investigators. Thank you to the Utah Gumshoe, Scott Fulmer. It's PI's Declassified. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Thanks, I'm Francie. Pleasure. Taylor. Thanks for li- listening. Talk to you soon, Scott. Take care. Bye. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.